Welcome to the Inspirational Living Podcast. Share the gift of inspiration this holiday season with our new hardcover book, Evergreen, 50 Inspirational Life Lessons. Learn more at inspirationallifelessons.com. Today's podcast has been edited and adapted from the book, The Majesty of Calmness by William George Jordan, published in 1900. Calmness is the rarest quality in human life. It is the signpost of a great nature in harmony with itself and its ideals. It is the moral atmosphere of the life self-reliant and the self-controlled. Calmness is singleness of purpose, absolute confidence and conscious power, ready to be focused in an instant to meet any crisis. No person lives their life more fully, more intensely, and more consciously than the one who is calm. Fatalists are not calm, but coward slaves of their environment, hopelessly surrendering to their present condition, recklessly indifferent to the future. The fatalist accepts his or her life as a rudderless ship drifting on the ocean of time. They have no compass, no chart, no known port to which they are sailing. Their self-confessed inferiority to all nature is shown in their existence of constant surrender. It is not calmness. We who are calm have our course in life clearly marked on our chart. Our hand is ever on the helm. Storm, fog, night, tempest, danger, hidden reefs. We are ever prepared and ready for them. For we are made calm and serene by the realization that in these crises of our voyage we need a clear mind and a cool head, that we have nothing to do but live each day the best we can by the light we have, that we will never flinch nor falter for a moment, that though we may have to tack and leave our course for a time, we will never drift, we will get back into the true channel, we will keep ever headed toward our harbor. When we will reach it, how we will reach it, matters not to us. We rest in calmness, knowing we have done our best. If our best seems to be overthrown or overruled, then we must still bow our heads in calmness. No man or woman is permitted to know the future of their life, the finality. The world commits to us only new beginnings, new wisdom, and new days to use the best of our knowledge and ability. Calmness comes ever from within. It is the peace and restfulness of the depths of our nature. The fury of storm and of wind agitate only the surface of the sea. They can penetrate only two or three hundred feet. Below that is the calm, unruffled deep. To be ready for the great crises of life, we must learn serenity in our daily living. Calmness is the crown of self-control. When the worries and cares of the day fret you and begin to wear upon you, and you chafe under the friction, be calm. Stop, rest for a moment, and let the calmness and peace assert themselves. If you let these irritating outside influences get the better of you, you are confessing your inferiority then, 
by permitting them to dominate you. Study the disturbing elements. Each by itself bring all the power of your nature to bear upon them, and you will find that they will, one by one, melt into nothingness, like vapors fading before the sun. The glow of calmness that will then pervade your mind, the tingling sensation of an inflow of new strength, may be to you the beginning of the revelation of the supreme calmness that is possible for you. Then, in some great hour of your life, when you stand face to face with some awful trial, when the structure of your ambition and life work crumbles in a moment, you will be brave. You can then fold your arms calmly, look out undismayed and undaunted upon the ashes of your hope upon the wreck of what you have faithfully built, and with brave heart and unfaltering voice you may say, So let it be, I will build again. When the tongue of malice and slander, the persecution of inferiority, tempts you for just a moment to retaliate, when for an instant you forget yourself so far as to hunger for revenge, be calm. The means that someone takes to destroy another's character becomes the suicide of their own. No person in the world ever attempted to wrong another without being injured in return, some way, somehow, sometime. The only weapon of offense that nature seems to recognize is the boomerang. Nature keeps her books admirably. She puts down every item, she closes all accounts in the end but she does not always balance them at the end of the month. To the person who is calm, revenge is so far beneath them that they cannot reach it, even by stooping. When injured, they do not retaliate. They wrap around themselves the royal robes of calmness and go quietly on their own way. When the hand of death touches the one we hold dearest, paralyzes our energy and eclipses the sun of our life, the calmness that has been accumulating in long years becomes in a moment our refuge, our reserve of strength. The most subtle of all temptations is the seeming success of the wicked. It requires moral courage to see, without disturbance, material prosperity coming to those who are dishonest. To see politicians rise into prominence, power and wealth by trickery and corruption to see virtue in rags and vice in velvets, to see ignorance at a premium and knowledge at a discount. To the person who is really calm, these puzzles of life do not appeal. They are living their life as best they can. They are not worrying about the problems of justice, whose solution ultimately must be left to omniscience to solve. When you have developed the spirit of calmness until it becomes so absolutely part of you that your very presence radiates it, you have made great progress in life. Calmness cannot be acquired of itself and by itself. It must come as the culmination of a series of virtues. What the world needs and what individuals need is a higher standard of living a greater sense of the privilege and dignity of life, a higher and noble conception of individuality. With this great sense of calmness permeating an individual, 
we become able to retire more into ourselves, away from the noise, the confusion and strife of the world, which come to our ears only as faint, far-off rumblings. The person who is calm does not selfishly isolate themselves from the world, for they are intensely interested in all that concerns the welfare of humanity. Their calmness is but a refuge into which they can retire from the world to get strength to live in the world. They realize that the full glory of individuality, the crowning of their self-control, is the majesty of calmness. To cultivate calmness, we must ignore complaints of those who compel us to hurry. Mother Nature is un-American, for she never hurries. Every phase of her working shows plan, calmness, reliability, and the absence of hurry. While hurry itself always implies a lack of a definite method, confusion, and impatience with slow growth. The Tower of Babel, the world's first skyscraper, was a failure because of hurry. The workers mistook their arrogant ambition for inspiration. They had too many builders and no architect. They thought to make up for the lack of a head by an abundance of hands. This is a characteristic of hurry. It seeks ever to make energy a substitute for a clearly defined plan. But let us not confuse hurry with haste. Hurry is a counterfeit of haste. Haste has an ideal, a distinct aim to be realized by the quickest, direct methods. Haste has a single compass upon which it relies for direction and is in harmony with a predetermined course. Hurry says, I must move faster. I will get three compasses. I will have them different. I will be guided by all of them. One of them will probably be right. Hurry never realizes that slow, careful foundation work is the quickest in the end. Hurry has ruined more Americans than has any other word in the vocabulary of life. It is the scourge of America and is both a cause and a result of our high-pressure civilization. Hurry adroitly assumes so many masquerades of disguise that its identity is not always recognized. Hurry always pays the highest price for everything, and usually the goods are not delivered. In our race for wealth, we Americans often sacrifice time, energy, health, home, happiness, and honor. Everything that money cannot buy. The very things that money can never bring back. Hurry is a phantom of paradoxes. Businessmen and women, in their desire to provide for the future happiness of their family, often sacrifice the present happiness of their spouse and children on the altar of hurry. In our hurry to attain some ambition, to gratify the dream of life, we often throw honor, truth, and generosity to the winds. Politicians dare to stand by and see a city poisoned with foul water until they see where they come in on a waterworks appropriation. If it be necessary to poison an army, that too is but an incident in the hurry for wealth. Even our education system is a monumental institution dedicated to hurry. Children are forced to go through a series of studies that sweep the circle of all human wisdom. They are given everything that the ambitious ignorance of the age can force into their little minds. They are taught everything but the essentials. 
that is, how to use their senses and how to think. Their minds become congested by a great mass of undigestible facts, and still the cruel barbarous forcing goes on. You watch it until it seems you cannot stand it a moment longer, and you instinctively put out your hand and say, Stop! This modern slaughter of the innocents must not go on. Education, though, smiles suavely, waves her hand complacently toward her thousands of knowledge prisons over the country and says, Who are you that dares speak a word against our sacred school system? We are in a hurry. Move along. However, education should not be so boastful about failing in 13 years to do what half the time should accomplish by better methods. Incompetence is not always a reason for pride. To hurry our children into a hundred textbooks, then into ill health, then into colleges, then into a diploma, then into life, is to create generations of dazed minds untrained and unfitted for the real duties of living. Hurry is the death blow to calmness, to dignity, to poise. Hurry means the breakdown of the nerves. It is the royal road to perpetual worry. Everything that is great in life is the product of slow growth. The newer and greater and higher and nobler the work, the slower is its growth, the surer is its lasting success. Mushrooms attain their full power in a night. Oaks require decades. A fad lives itself in a few weeks. A philosophy lives through generations and centuries. If you are sure you are right, do not let the voice of the world or of friends or of family swerve you for a moment from your purpose. Accept slow growth if it must be slow, and know the results must come as you would accept the long lonely hours of the night, with absolute assurance that the heavy leaded moments must bring the morning. Let us as individuals banish the word hurry from our lives. Let us care for nothing so much that we would pay honor and self-respect as the price of hurrying it. Let us cultivate calmness, restfulness, poise, kindness, doing our best, bearing all things as bravely as we can, living our life undisturbed by the prosperity of the dishonest or the malice of the envious. Let us not be impatient, chafing at delay, fretting over failure, wearying over results, and weakening under opposition. Let us ever turn our face toward the future with confidence and trust, with the calmness of a life in harmony with itself, true to its ideals, and slowly and constantly progressing toward their realization. The Inspirational Living Podcast is a production of The Living Hour. For free transcripts, please go to livinghour.org. Subscribe to our free podcast at the iTunes Store, Google Play, or Stitcher.com. To purchase our new book, Evergreen, 50 Inspirational Life Lessons, please go to inspirationallifelessons.com. Thanks for listening. I look forward to talking with you next time.